Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Don't forget, we've got a Saturday evening service too, if you feel like there's not much room in here. We've been packing out our Sunday morning services, so remember that alternate service there. It's a great service right here on Saturday night, 6 o'clock. You want... Do what? Speak? Oh, yeah. Well, why don't you come on up here and help me teach? No, 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 no. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, my goodness sakes alive. You just never know what to expect here. Where's the ushers? Where's security? Oh, my goodness. Oh, she is security. That's scary. Hey, we got a great study in store for us today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 12. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. This weekend's message is titled... Maturity checkpoints. Oh, goody. We're going to see how mature you are. You'll notice on the top of your notes, there's a phrase that I'm going to use here at the front end that's part of our text, love life and see good days. How many want to love life and see good days? Show of hands. I think we all do. Fullness of life. The Bible defines it as that. And no one wants you to love life and see good days as much as your Father in heaven wants for you. He wants for you. God, the more you understand who God is, the more you'll begin to realize, wow, he wants you to love life and see good days. It's not so much about what you possess, the presence of more stuff, or the absence of problems. It's really more about the attitude you bring to life, and that attitude has a lot to do with your character, your conduct, and your convictions. Spiritual maturity. That's what we're talking about this morning, spiritual maturity. So your ability to live, to love life and see good days is really about spiritual maturity. Nothing causes problems like immaturity. Um, most of you know that Nancy and I uh, have three kids, all grown and gone, and uh, they're really, really old, and it makes us feel really, 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 really old. And uh, when the kids were small, little, uh, Did you guys ever have this experience where one of the kids would wake up on the wrong side of the bed, come in there and be like a little terrorist early in the morning and creating an atmosphere of chaos? And so our little sweet, believe it or not, natty girl, our youngest, uh, would come in there. And I'll never forget this. She came in there one morning and her butter was not centered in her oatmeal. Oh my goodness. She freaked out, created all kinds of problems, and mom said, well, then just don't eat the oatmeal. Go in there and get ready for school. We're going to do school, and you're not going to have anything to eat. Now, don't call CPS. I already grown and gone. <laughs> but uh, mom figured that she probably wouldn't do that again, and guess what? She didn't do that again. She didn't, after a while, when you're hungry, you just realize, hey, it doesn't matter where the oatmeal or where the, where the butter is in the oatmeal. I'm just glad I got butter in my oatmeal. You know, so it was kind of an attitude. So it's, it was really about an attitude. It was, I came home from work. I was on the fire department at the time. And when I came home from work, I, rem- I remember seeing the kids. They were kind of really down and out. And they were just like bummed out. And they weren't really doing too much. And I said, hey, what's wrong? And they came over and they said, mom grounded us from Nintendo for life. <laughs> I said, for life? That's pretty drastic. You know, help. You know, after a while, you just get tired of your kids just fighting over the Nintendo. I don't even know if there's a Nintendo out there still. Is there still Nintendo? 
but are we, I guess the big thing is we or whatever, I don't keep up with all that stuff, but, uh, but it was just like they'd fight over the Nintendo. He, he killed my man, he got, shut up, you're killing me. Or you're on your way out of town. This happened to us too often. We're on our way out of town for a road trip. We're not five minutes out of town and World War III breaks up, I mean, starts up in the back seat. I mean, it's just out of control. You gotta pull the car over and when you find out what went down, one touched, touched the other. What? He touched you and you touched him back and then he hit you and he hit you back and oh! I mean, it just escalated from that point on. Isn't that crazy? That's just, that's just immaturity is what it, what it is. And yet what's interesting, what's true in the natural can also be true in the spiritual. As a pastor, sometimes I feel like a dad trying to break up ridiculous fights, and I've seen that in the church family. It's just really crazy, and that's, and that's why it's important kind of, as I use those as, as an analogy of our relationships with one another, I've seen churches split over the most ridiculous things, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Really, it has a lot to do with spiritual maturity. By the way, a Natty Girl is the sweetest gal in the world. She's the most delightful person to hang out with. Uh, she's now a teacher there in Tucson for the School of the Deaf and Blind and uh, just a wonderful person. But I mean, in those early days, we were kind of wondering, where is she going with this? This is pretty crazy, but she's a delight to be around and not so much the older brothers. Uh, they're not, <laughs> I'm kidding, one of them's here and the other one's leading worship in a church in, in Prescott this morning, but uh, no, they're wonderful guys too. They're neat guys to hang out with. But we were as concerned with their actions, with their attitude as we were with their actions. It wasn't just that they do the right things. <laughs> Let's have a good attitude. And so it's really the attitude that we bring to life, whether or not we, we love life and see good days. And so it's really about spiritual maturity, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into our text and unpack this study this morning. Father, like, like newborn infants, we long for the pure spiritual milk of your words so that we can grow up into our salvation because we have tasted of your goodness. We want more of you. We want to experience more of you. So we pray this morning that you would convict us, comfort us, conform us more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, for your glory and our soul satisfaction, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. Let me begin reading, and you'll see kind of where we're going. It's really the family that dad wants, so we're obviously talking about uh, spiritual maturity and what our Father in heaven wants for us, and you'll see it's divided up into three sections. Character, character has to do with who we are. Conduct, what we do, convictions is what we believe. That's all about our attitude. That all fits within this attitude that we bring to life that helps us to love life and see good days. And so we begin reading in chapter 3, verse 8, where we left the study last weekend. Finally, all of you, stop there just for a minute. He says, finally. So it almost seems like he's going to end the book, but he doesn't. He's got two more chapters. So why did he put the finally in there? The finally is in there um, because... Um, this is the end of a current discussion which started in chapter 2, verse 11. He's summing up how to live the gospel in a fallen world and with a less than ideal government. We talked about that, less than ideal employer. We talked about that. And then last weekend we talked uh, how to 
how to live the gospel in a fallen world with a less than ideal marriage. By the way, if you weren't here last weekend, download the app on your smartphone and listen to it. It's a seminar on marriage, and it's all, there's also something there for singles. So, so we talked about that last week, and now he comes to the church. How do you deal with a less than ideal church? And I know that none of this applies to Desert Breeze. It all applies to Desert Breeze, to all of us. And that's why he's saying finally, he's kind of wrapping up, he's giving us some really good insight here. And in verse eight, he gives us the character qualities of those who have encountered Christ. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. So that's character, who we are. Now he moves to our conduct, and this has to do with the question of what we do, how we respond to life and hurts and the hits that we take. Do, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Oh, he touched you, so you touched him back or you hit them hard. Or I mean, that's what he's talking about, the pettiness sometimes and the craziness of going back and forth. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, this is your calling, this is your vocation, that you may obtain a blessing. Now he quotes from the Old Testament uh, book, Psalms chapter 34 verses 12 through 16 and he says for whoever desires to love life and see good days there's that statement let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it so we've moved from from character to conduct, now we get into convictions. This, is, this right here is a wonderful verse, verse 12. Um, I was meditating on this verse. This is a powerful verse. If you could understand and get a grasp, if this, more importantly, if this verse got a hold of your life, you'd be changed. It would change you. This is what changes your character and conduct. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So that's, that would be conviction. This, do you believe this? If you believe this, it's gonna change your character and conduct. Just is. And this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, uh, the family that dad wants. If there's any group of people that should know how to compassionately and contagiously communicate, resolve conflict, experience meaningful community, it should be Christians. It should be Christians. Our lifestyle should be a clinic for the world on how relationships work. But too often it isn't, and I think it's because we're not, we don't understand what uh, Peter is teaching here and what we need to learn. And so let's look at character, first of all, verse eight. I gave you a good cross-reference. I'd encourage you to read this on your own because it goes along with this list. There's a list of five, and he kind of goes through some of these characteristics in Philippians 2 verses 1 through 5 talks about let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus so it's really about being more and more conformed to the image of Christ and so what he's defining for us in verse 8 is this is what uh, a supernaturally transformed heart looks like a heart looks like when your heart is transformed as you are following Jesus more and more this is this is the kind of character that you're going to have and Philippians 2 1 through 5 talks about why we don't often have that character is because we have this vain conceit in verse three of Philippians two, which is there's this, we're empty of glory. We, we want so desperately to find meaning in life because we fail to find it in God and therefore we're, we're discontent. We're not complete like we should in Christ and so we begin to look for it in this world and that's what 
jacks up our relationships because then everything becomes a means to an end. Our self-centeredness and self-absorption makes everything a means to an end because we're so empty inside. And so the completeness comes in Christ, and we'll see that, and we'll talk about that as we get down to our convictions. But let's walk through these. Unity of mind. So this is what supernaturally transformed heart looks like. Unity of mind. This is agree on the essentials. Now, I encourage you to take the game of life. If you haven't taken the game of life, I would encourage you to take that class. I'm the one that teaches the class, eight-week class. And more than anything, it'll fortify your faith. But what I, what I want to do in that class is to help you to really stir up greater appetite for God, to really begin to be more and more overwhelmed and overtaken by the beauty of who Christ is. In that class, we talk about uh, our beliefs here at Desert Breeze, so you get a chance to get to know us a little more. In that, I, I quote a creed that we use here, and the creed goes something like this. In the essentials, there, we need to have unity. In the non-essentials, there needs to be liberty, but in all things, we should have love. Anybody familiar with that creed? Yes? Okay, not too many, maybe a few that have taken the game life. So here's the deal. There are two categories of beliefs. There are essential beliefs and non-essential beliefs. Oftentimes, the conflict happens in the non-essentials. I mean, it's crazy, but churches have split over carpet color. That doesn't sound like an essential belief, does it? You gotta have a certain color of carpet. And I see not only that happen in the church, but I see it in homes, where the arguments are over trivial things. It's over small stuff. And so you need to know, hey, what are we fighting over here? Is this essential or non-essential? So in the essentials, there has to be unity. And let me kind of walk you through what that might look like and see. You can yell out to me what you think of, of if this is an essential. Is the belief in the Trinity, is that an essential Christian belief? Okay, so that would be that. How about deity of Christ, that Christ is God? Yeah, absolutely. So there needs to be unity there. By the way, we had a guy that came and wanted to teach uh, classes uh, want to teach in our church and have a small group and he denied the deity or I'm sorry he denied the trinity which that's not going to happen here it doesn't it's just like dude that's that's an essential Christian belief okay how about uh, often the authority of the scripture yeah absolutely how about salvation by grace through faith alone yeah absolutely how about eschatological issues eschata what <laughs> yeah eschatology last days no, actually not. We all believe that Jesus is coming back, but this is where people kind of get into some. And so we can debate, but we shouldn't divide over these things. How about, what, which one do you believe in? Amillennialism, premillennialism, or postmillennialism? Yes. <laughs> how many were saying yes? Yes, Jesus is coming back. Not sure how that's going to happen. So what's crazy about that is that people will dispute over those things. Pre-rapture, post-rapture, whether there's a rapture or not. Listen, what matters is, is he coming back? Yeah, absolutely. But see, this is where we get into disputes. This is what I love about Desiree's because we're a broad spectrum of people. And there's the argument too, the Arminian and Calvinism. And, and I have friends and we have people in this church that are heavy Arminian and people in this church that are heavy Calvinism. And Arminian kind of emphasizes heavily the responsibility of man. Calvinism tends to emphasize the... The em emphasizes the sovereignty of God. We teach both. They're like two pedals on a bike. You gotta be responsible. Oh yeah, there's the sovereignty of God. So we kind of teach both. But there are churches that, you know, people that will get all upset about these two issues. Those are both important issues in the Bible and it is a mystery and it's a long debate for years and for centuries. 
Here's the thing that I want us to focus on more than anything. Oh, here's another one. I was raised in a church where you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't drink. Is, where does drinking fall into that? In the, is it essential or non-essential? It's non-essential. Unless you're drinking in front of people that struggle, and then you're not acting in love because you're becoming a stumbling block. How about smoking? Will smoking send you to hell? No, it'll just make you smell like it. Okay. But no, it's actually rejection of Jesus. It's just, yeah, you don't, you don't have Jesus in your life, so if you don't know him. So, so here's what I'm saying. There has to be unity. And so realize, if you come to me and talk to me or any of the leaders and you want to dispute something, we can debate, but we won't divide over the non-essentials. But in the essentials, we probably will if it comes down to that and we really understand what the essentials are. You need to know the difference. And see, the issue is with the non-essentials, oftentimes it's because your butter's not centered in your oatmeal, okay? So don't freak out. Okay, don't get all freaked out or he touched me or you touched him back or, or whatever. Don't be a terrorist. Just realize that that's in the category of non-essentials. And, and oftentimes a lot of fights in homes are based on non-essentials. Like it doesn't matter what kind of ca- carpet you have or how big the house is or whatever. What matters is that you have a home, you turn that house into a home and you love each other. So in the essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, you give people freedom to make choices within that, but in all things, love. Comprende? That's important. It's important for a, a, a church as we continue on because as we draw a lot of people here, we've got a lot of people coming in here that we maintain that. Now here's the next one on your notes of sympathy, to share common feelings. Romans 12, 15, it says to, to grieve with those that grieve and to rejoice with those that rejoice. And let me tell you something, I, I think that we're really good at that here at Desert Breeze. And uh, if you want to get better at that, you get plugged into a small group. Bitter envy is the opposite of that. You know what bitter envy is? Is that you rejoice when people are grieving and you grieve when people rejoice. Does that make sense? And we all have had those feelings before with the people down the street or people that you don't like and you go, well, I'm happy that they're sad. And that's called bitter envy. That's wrong. But the Bible says, no, when you've got people that you're around, you rejoice with them when they have success, almost as if you're experiencing that same success because they're part of the family. And then you, you, you're sorrowful when they go through sorrow. We lost a brother here in our church, an amazing man. He was the epitome of a walking billboard of how Christ transforms our lives. If you'd seen what God had done in his life, he, he started attending church over here at uh, 17th Avenue and Bell Road in the old burned out nightclub and he would come drunk. And because this place was such an accepting, loving place, as they loved on him and accepted him, he encountered Jesus here and his life was never the same. He got plugged in to celebrate recovery and then a few years down the road started leading it. And I have never seen a man disciple more people than Bill Newsom and his wife sitting right here in the front row or second row back. And let me just, let me just say something about this. I was, she called me up yesterday and uh, said, I'd like for you to come over about eight o'clock and read some scripture. There's some uh, friends here, part of their small group was there. And, and I said, no, I'll come over right now. So I went over there and I wept with them and it was, it was amazing watching the support of their small group as they stood around the bed, as I stood around the bed with Bill Newsom 
Um, just his body. He's with Jesus. Oh my goodness, he is face to face with our Savior. But we, but we grieved as we grieved because we we're sad because he's gone. We're going to miss him. And yet we rejoice because of the hope that we have in the gospel. And I saw this right here, sympathy, to share common feelings. I saw that. I saw the richness of that. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then uh, brotherly, brotherly love. I saw brothers and sisters hugging on each other and crying in each other's arms and, and just sorrowful but rejoicing. Sorrowful but rejoicing. And... Uh, Love is brothers and sisters. You've heard me talk about my two sisters, uh, that we, uh, older sister, younger sister. I'm the meat and kind of between the two pieces of bread. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? But uh, older sister, younger sister. And, uh, but what was interesting about that is that we fought with each other, but not as much as we fought for each other. My sister's working in the coffee bar, and she told me this. She said, uh, I hug the people I hate because I want to know how big to dig the hole in my backyard. That's my sister, Aloha. She's sick. Oh, wait, sick means cool nowadays, doesn't it? She, yeah. Now, yeah, she's cool. I mean, she just, she said, I just read that. It was really funny. But that's my, that's my sister. But, uh, but, but that's what brothers and sisters, we fight. We fight each other, but we, not as much as we fight for each other. That's what I love about small groups. That's what I love about this community. And then uh, the next one is tender heart. Gentle, kind, thoughtful. Uh, you know, this is, it, this is crazy, but the Greek word actually means, this sounds a little gross, but it means having strong bowels. Isn't that weird? It just means have strong bowels. But the, you know what that means is that when you get that phone call, when I got the phone call from Tamara yesterday, it was, it was a gut punch. Does anybody think he was going to go to be with the Lord that quick? But the Lord knows. The Lord has our days numbered. And it was a gut punch. It was just like, ah. Then I went over there, wept with them. But you know when you get that... Uh, dreaded phone call, you get socked in the gut, you feel like it takes the wind out of you. That's what it's talking about here, tender heart. And people that live charmed lives typically don't have that. But people that have gone through the ringer, now you gotta keep in mind, when you go through the ringer, it can either make you a better or a bitter person. You don't want it to be, make you bitter because the opposite of this gentle, kind, thoughtful is hard, calloused, resentful. So the difficulties you go through can either make you bitter or better, but if they make you better, then you can come alongside of others because you know what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And then you've got a humble mind, accurate view of oneself. There's no swaggering or sniveling. You know, nothing will humble you like the gospel. There's really two parts of the gospel, the more you understand it. The part that says you're a sinner, that humbles you, and then the part that says you're loved and accepted, that gives you the confidence that you need. And so that's that accurate view. So, so when you interact with people, there should never be any towering, like you feel better than them, or cowering, like you feel less than them. There should be that humble confidence in our interaction with each other because we're living in light of the gospel of the grace of who Jesus is. And so you can see unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. I'll never forget it. Her name was Rose. She was anything but a Rose. She came to our small group. Her hair was oily, stringy, kind of in her face. Her... Her clothes were, uh, were, were a mess. 
She'd sit over there, wouldn't give people eye contact. She'd kind of sit on the couch and, and she came week in and week out for a, for a time. We tried to interact with her, but more importantly, we just wanted her to know that she was loved and accepted and we tried to kind of reach out to her. But in this group, we'd sing songs about Christ and to Christ and we would love on each other and I really had a sense that in this group there was a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart and humble mind. And in time, it was amazing, the metamorphosis that began to take place in Rose's life. Little by little, she washed her hair. She got clothes on that was different, that was clean and, and more put together on the outside because she was being put together more and more on the inside because of that community that was happening within that small group. She was so transformed that her husband was shocked and ended up coming to church to try to figure out what, went, what happened to my wife. So she got saved, and then he came to church and got saved, became a Christian. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. Because, because it had more to do with the fact that this was a group of people who had this kind of character, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Oh, how I pray regularly that our homes, our small groups, the DB family, is this, that indeed we have supernaturally transformed hearts that look like this, and of course that will produce this kind of conduct. So that's who we are, but now what we do. How many would like to learn how to disarm a relational bomb? How many have ever had a relational bomb? You know, bomb gonna go off, walking around on eggshells, gotta be careful, don't want anything to explode here, this is crazy, and so I'm gonna teach you how to do that. You need to have this kind of character, but here's the conduct that, that does that, forgiveness, that's the first word. Forgiveness is letting go of the hatred and revenge and extending grace. It has to do with the past, and it only takes one to forgive. So it has to do with the past, it only takes one to forgive. Verse 9, it says, do not repay evil for evil, on the contrary, bless. Ephesians 4.32, now what gives us the capacity to be able to forgive? Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, Check this out. This is good. As God in Christ forgave you. So to the degree you understand how much he forgives you is to the degree you're able to offer forgiveness. If you're not offering forgiveness, it's because you're not living in the reality of how much he's forgiven you. Because you'll never have to forgive others as much as he's already forgiven you. You're just not living in the reality of that. And that's what it's talking about here. And he says that this is our calling. This is our vocation. Hebrews 12, 15 Another verse, I don't have it on your notes, but you can put that down, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How's that? How do we fail to obtain the grace of God? This amazing message of God's grace that it's totally stunning. Well, that a bitter root grows up, causes trouble, and defiles many. That you don't deal with the hurts and the hits that you take in life. You don't deal with them, and you let, you let the hurts and the hits that you take make you bitter rather than better, and it's like poison within you. That's what he's saying. That's why forgiveness, you, when you begin to forgive, you set a captive free only to realize that the captive was me, you, us. And then that, uh, by the way, forgiveness does not mean that you're condoning what was done. It doesn't mean concealing, hiding. You need to grieve it. And it doesn't mean that you don't press charges to hold the person accountable when appropriate. And it doesn't mean trust and reconciliation. The next word is trust. It doesn't mean you trust them. You can forgive them and not trust them. In fact, if they're abusive, it's wise not to. 
And this really has to do with what will you risk happening again and open yourself up to? Uh, trust has to do with the future. So forgiveness has to do with the past. Trust has to do with the future. And it takes time plus performance to reestablish trustworthiness. Trust cannot be demanded. If you have violated someone's trust and then you want them to forgive you, you can't demand that they, that they trust you after that. It has to be earned. You need to ask them, say, what do I need to do to reestablish that trust? And it has to be earned over time based on your performance. Um, verse 10, let him keep his lips from speaking deceit or from speaking evil. What is that about? Deception in our speech creates a lack of trustworthiness. Ephesians 4.25 says, put off falsehood and speak truth to one another. Proverbs 12.18, it says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How many by show of hands would say that there are words that were spoken to you maybe five, 10, 15 years ago, or maybe when you were a youth growing up, that they haunt you to this day. Show of hands, a lot. Shows you the power in our words. There's life and death in our words, Proverbs 18, 21, and yet Christ can heal us of those, those wounds, but if we don't allow him to heal us of those wounds, we carry that baggage with us in life. Creates distrust in other relationships. It creates a distrust and suspicion, and so that's why we need to be healed up. Uh, Matthew 12, 34, and this is how we can find out what's going on in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words are windows to our heart. So when I hear, my, when I hear my, uh, me saying, even to myself, even if I'm kind of hiding it in my heart, I'm like, Egh. hateful words, I know that there's hurt down there somewhere in bitterness. So I start listening, cynical words, sarcastic words, whatever that might be. I have to kind of do a search down deep inside. And with your words, you can either build bridges or drive wedges. And they tell you a lot about, you know, your ability to trust others. Remember the crazy cycle we talked about last week? Without love, she responds without respect. Without respect, he responds without love. And so if I find my wife kind of responding to me without respect, I need to ask her, hey, what did I say? What did I do? I need to build a bridge. I need to be careful with my tongue to bring life rather than death into the relationship. Third word is reconciliation. So forgiveness doesn't mean trust, and it doesn't mean necessarily reconciliation, mutual apology and forgiveness. It has to do with the present. So forgiveness has to do with the past. Trust has to do with the future. Reconciliation has to do with the present, and it takes two to reconcile. Verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone. As far as it concerns you, be at peace with everyone. Relationships are two-way street. You can only take care of your side of the street, but take care of your side of the street. You can't force them to reconcile with you. And, uh, and you have to debate whether or not it's appropriate to reconcile with them if they're not trustworthy, obviously. So you, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of work, time, counsel as you work through that, but at least take care of your side of the street. Make it available. Try to head in that direction if, if possibly, if there's any way that you can. Let me read to you a story here and then we'll move on to the last part of this. Sue, whose relationship with her mom was marked by friction her whole life, it alternated between uneasy ceasefires and all-out war. Sue never received a compliment. Her mom never told her she looked pretty in time. The only way they could relate was to inflict, 
inflict pain on one another verbally. And in a family, you know each other's most vulnerable areas. She tried to avoid going home, and on occasion, when she had to go back, she would stay with her brothers. But there was a hole in her heart. One day, Sue received a phone call. Her mom had been diagnosed with a degenerative neuromuscular disease and did not have long to live. Sue began to pray, asking for a miracle, maybe for her mother's body, maybe for her mother's heart, maybe for her own heart. Nothing happened. Her mom went downhill rapidly. Sue got another call. The end was not far off. Sue flew home. The family gathered for a vigil that lasted days, but her mom revived or survived the crisis, and everyone went home exhausted. Sue stayed. She could not sleep that night. She went to her mother's bedside, and something began to melt her heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She told her mom, I know I wasn't easy to raise. Me too. Her mom said, I'm sorry too. For the first time since she was a little girl, Sue's heart was flooded with love for her mother. She had been afraid that she would be cold toward her till the very end. She had not touched her mother for years. Now she couldn't stop. She held her mother's hand and stroked her head and wouldn't let go. Sue lay down on the bed next to her. I love you, Mom. I really do. I was afraid you'd die without knowing it. I'll bet you were afraid you might not know, too, her mom said. And at that moment, Sue said her mother looked radiant, the way some people look when heaven is not far off. Mom was having trouble speaking now. She wrote a single word for Sue to read and pointed toward her daughter, pretty. The nurse said, I look like you, mom. Sue found herself with thoughts and feelings she wanted to express to her mother that she didn't even know she had. She was 40 years old and had not been married. I hope to give you a grandchild. You gave me a daughter, her mom wrote. It was the last time Sue would see her mother. It was her mom's last night on earth, her last best night. And a prison door was unlocked. Two stony hearts melted. Two human beings who had lived as enemies became mother and daughter again. And the writer goes on and says, God commands us to forgive whenever we're hurt and reconcile whenever we can because life is too short not to do so. We do not have another shot at it. If you don't forgive, if you let pride, resentment, stubbornness, and defensiveness stand in your way, you become a hard, bitter person. You carry a burden that will crush the humanity out of your spirit. You will grow a little colder every day. You will die. Now, how do you do that? I, it comes to the, the end of the message here, and this is all of this character transformation and this conduct, this conduct of forgiveness and trust and reconciliation happens because of these convictions, what we believe. And, and, and he's quoting from Psalm 34, and I would encourage you to read Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is just where he draws this out of. It's just a phenomenal psalm. It is a, it is a sweet psalm. You guys are probably familiar with some of the verses from this psalm. Psalm 34, 8, you guys familiar with that? Taste and see what? That the Lord is good? Oh, my goodness. 
I mean, that's, that's the context that he draws these truths from. Here's another part of that Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Yes, yes. So if you want to live life and see good days, he's telling us how to do that in Psalm 34. Now, if you, if you really believe these truths that I'm about to share with you, the, the, the end of this message, you would never ever worry again. How many would like to live the rest of their life without ever worrying again? Show of hands? Yeah, we all would. Imagine, imagine if you never, ever worried again. I mean, people might actually like you. A little more, I mean, because that's what creates the stress. We're anxious, we're angry. We're hard to live with because there's so much worry and turmoil and stuff churning inside of us. But if we could find the freedom that Christ gives to us, it makes a difference in our lives. It transforms our character and our conduct and the way that we relate to one another. It changes that. See, this is the, this is the root of our issues. It always, it always goes back to the gospel, always goes back to Christ. Always does. All of our issues always go back to him. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine if you never had to, had to worry again? And um, here's, the, here's the truth. God is watching over me. I mean, do you believe that? I, I was meditating on that this, this last week. And e even this morning, I was listening to a song uh, this morning, and man, I was like overwhelmed with the reality. There's a Christian song talking about his love never fails and he works our bad into our good, and I was just overwhelmed with the sense that he's watching over me. And I've, I got glimpses of that this last week as I was meditating on it. God was just kind of showing that to me, and I just, they created this sense of calmness over me, and like, yes, why do I get so stressed out? He's watching over me, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. What does that mean? I have to have my act together? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, so you gotta be perfect for him to watch over you. I'm not watching over you now because you're not doing very good, okay? Well, man, he would never watch over me then because I struggle. I know that some of you are so much further down the road than me, and he probably is watching over you more than he is me. That's not true. He watches over us because, in fact, that word righteous, Romans 1:17, the righteous shall live by faith, says so by putting your faith in Jesus. He's our righteousness. That's what that means. The righteous, did you put your faith in Jesus? He's watching over you, you're in the family. He's adopted you, he loves you. Oh my goodness. In fact, you'll never catch God looking away as though he is bored with you. He can't take his eyes off of you. He can't take his eyes off of you. Listen to me, he can't take his eyes off of you. He's watching over you. I mean, if you just took that and just meditated on it, God, drive that deep into my heart. It's a concept right now. I need it to be a reality because the way I'm responding to life, I'm stressed out. I need to take that truth and apply it specific to where my heart is most restless. See, that's, that's the Christian life. That's how you do that. And, uh, and then God is listening to me. I mean, that's why we don't pray. Did you know that that's the reason why you don't pray? Because you don't really believe that he's listening to you. You just think you're just talking to the wall. Prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. Because if you believe that he was listening to you, nothing would keep you from interacting with him. So that's why here at Desert Breeze, I don't, I'm not going to beat you up about, hey, you need to pray more. No, I want to help you to see he's listening to you. Why wouldn't you pray? Oh, my goodness. 
witness. You have an audience with the creator. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, I'm just thinking about it right now, and I'm just overwhelmed. He can't take his eyes off of me, and I have interaction with him? That's why people think we're crazy. <laughs> and yet we're not, because he died on the cross to emphasize that point to us, and he wrote it down in a book to remind us of it. That's, that's the truth. His ears are open to their prayer. Psalm 147, 3 through 4, it says that the, the one who names and numbers the stars can heal our broken heart and bind up our wounds. Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings <coughs> and you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This I know that God is for me. How many have had sleepless nights? I know that Tamara has. And I know, Tamara, that God has kept count of your tossings and he has your tears in a bottle. And he is with you. He loves you. And not just for her, that's for all of us. I mean, that's what the Bible says. He knows, he knows those sleepless nights when you get up and you pace the floor and you cry out to him. He's there. We've got a family over here still grieving the loss of a dad, grandpa. And that's true for you guys too. God's with you. He loves you. He knows those sleepless nights. He knows the struggle of your grief. And then look at this next one. God will deal with the troublemakers. You know one of the reasons why we have a hard time forgiving is because we think that they're getting away with it. Isn't that true? But I, I don't want them to get off the hook. I don't want them to be let off the hook. Guess what? They're not. In fact, the more you understand that God, with Jesus' first coming, he came, to bear, he, began to, he came to bear our judgment. The second coming, he will bring judgment. He will settle the score, make things right. He's gonna balance the books. And when you understand that, you actually pity your perpetrators. You feel bad for them because they've gotta deal with your dad. And boy, is he mad. That you, would, that, that you would even be messed with. You're his adorable child he loves, sent his son to die for. And so he's gonna balance the books. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Pretty amazing. I've done two funerals in the last couple weeks and <clears throat> I'm getting ready for this funeral for Bill. And his funeral will be this Friday at six o'clock right here uh, in this place. Um, Six o'clock, it'll be truly a celebration of his life. But I've looked at the different people, and here's the, the common denominator with all the folks that have been going through these funerals, is that they're all connected to a small group, and they all have an amazing support system. They all have people rallying around them. And, and, as one, as one told me, Bonnie told me, she goes, there's no way that I would have gotten through it if you hadn't drove deep into our heart week in and week out God's amazing love because initially I didn't really believe it but the more you did it the more it began to drive deep into my heart and now it's a reality and that is what is helping me to navigate through the loss that I'm experiencing right now how in the world does Tamara get through what she's going through she buried her dad just within the last year or so she buried her mom within the last month and now she's burying her husband how does someone get through that? The grace, 
the wonderful grace of God that is more than enough. What a, what a godly woman I've seen in her. And I know that her support is, she believes this right here. God is watching over me. God is listening to me. God's gonna take care of me. It's powerful. It's absolutely powerful. There's a, how many have ever, uh, you know, you've been an employer or supervisor or even a family member, you ask somebody to do something for you and uh, you give someone a task or an assignment. Do you ever worry about it getting done? Anybody? You ever worry? What makes you worry about whether or not it's going to get done? With some people you don't worry at all, but other people you worry. Is that going to get done? Do I have to bird dog them to make sure it gets done? It really comes down to the trustworthiness of, of the person that you gave the task to. Oftentimes we treat God in our worry like he is an untrustworthy employee. See, worry is, is believing that somehow God's gonna get it wrong and bitterness is believing that he did get it wrong. But the more you begin to understand these truths, God is watching over me, God is listening to me, and God will balance the books. Boy, the more you believe that, the more that comes home to you, the more you can face anything. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. I want you just, uh, more than anything, to understand these final truths because this is what transforms our life into the kind of character and conduct that we so desperately need in our lives. The essence of the Christian life is not behave, be good, do more, try harder. That's not the Christian life. It's actually more about believe and behold the beauty. So God, that's what we're doing right now. We just wanna behold the fact that you're watching over us you're listening to us. And God, you will balance the books. In watching over us, you are infinite in your wisdom. You know what is best for us. In listening to us, you are perfect in love. You want what is very, the very best for us. And that fact that you will deal with the troublemakers, you are unlimited in your power, you're sovereign. And you will do what is best for us. God, we thank you for that. We rest in that. We love you. We worship you. God, we give glory to your name. Make these truths a reality in our hearts so that we can have this character of unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, and the conduct of forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation. That God knows and cares and rules is enough. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Uh, if you're new with us, I would love the opportunity to, to meet you, give you a coin-free drink from our coffee bar. Uh, Darren, Pastor Darren and I will be up here. Also, if you'd like to have prayer for any particular reason, we'll be up here available. If you've never confessed Christ as Savior, we'd invite you to do that. We'd love to pray with you in regards to that. Love you guys a lot. God bless you. Have a great weekend.